Hi, everyone. Welcome to Love at First Laugh. Thank you for joining us. Today, I have one of my favorite people, one of my favorite comics. Uh, he's incredible. He's the star of Smothered that he wrote, produced, and distributed. I mean, he's amazing. It's on Amazon Prime. You guys need to watch it. It's hilarious. Please welcome Jason Stewart. Hi, Hello. Jason. How are you? God, I don't know what to do. I'm hilarious. Yeah, I know the pressure, right? <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm so funny right now. now I, I wish I had some young guy here who could do all this stuff, you know, because I need someone to push my chair. Though I am dating a 36-year-old guy now. Oh, stop You're it. You go, cougar. <laughs> very, it's very, very uh, new. So don't tell him. No, no, yeah, no, I'm not telling anyone except the, the, the three or four people that are watching right now. <laughs> They'll know. Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Chris. Um, yeah, Chris, he's really, he has his own podcast too he, about sports and he's always joining and interacting with us. He's really cool. Um, so let's start from the beginning. I want to just let's start from the very beginning. A yes. very good place to start. Yes. That's that was a movie about the good Nazis, you know. <laughs> the good Nazis, yeah. Yeah. Uh wow. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. <laughs> crazy, crazy time. Uh so I started uh let's see, I started um doing community theater when I was eight or nine. I started wow. studying professional acting at 14. I started pursuing my career at 16. Ooh. I got my first TV show uh, when I was 19. And when I was in my early 20s, I got my first movie. My first line in a movie was, give me back my purse. Uh, I, I started stand-up when I was 23 or 24. I came out when I was 33 or 34. And now I am 106. <laughs> so this do was the like 1800s back, back when. Yeah. Yes, do the math. Yes, yes. Well, you're 106 minus a few decades, but that's okay. We'll we'll take 106. You look amazing for 106. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, uh, so tell me a little bit about you know how do you prepare as an actor and as a comedian? Are there any rituals that you have or anything specific that you do? Uh, first, every first, it's always fear. <laughs> yes, fear is always there. Always. Yes. And then after that, I think that um, after fear, I think there's just getting down and doing the work. Every job is different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, every job is not the same. So it's 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 like that. So uh, I try. I, you know, I heard Meryl Streep say that once, and I said, "Oh my God!" At least she's the same way as me. So it depends on what the job takes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do, when I do uh, sitcoms, when I did when I was doing a lot of them, I had to really you know just learn it so well. Yeah. And then a lot of them would just say, okay, do whatever you want. And then we improv around it. And a lot of them would let you do that in the day. And then when I started doing, um, uh, it's for the best if you block me. Some guy named Eric Levitt, I just wanted to know. I don't know who he is. He's so upset at me because I, I asked how we know each other. I don't know him. So I'm deleting you, Eric. I don't know you. I'm so sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Is he like showing up on your comments or something? Yeah, he just, he's... I, I didn't know how he wanted to be my friend. And, I, you know, I'm getting on my page. I'm getting close to 5,000. So yeah. I don't have a lot of room. So I asked him to go, you know, I asked people to go over to the other page or, you know, that kind of thing. And he yeah. took it personal, like, you're don't, just, you're like, you don't. So nice, but I don't know how to, you know, I don't know what else to do. Um, I was still, okay, I, I, no, no worries. It's not personal. He has I know, but I still, I still feel bad. Isn't that terrible? I know. Yeah. Oh, Eric. Oh, Eric. I never hurt anybody's feelings. Of course. But sometimes like, we're going to do that, you know, even if we try not to. It's, but it it's, is weird. Yeah. The whole Facebook thing is really weird. Yes. You know, about how hi, to Dave. How, how, Dave is another regular. Oh, hi. Yes. Yes. Thank you for joining us, Dave. Um, so we're talking about how you started. So you gave us the tea of how you yeah. started. Um, so... You know, you've been on on this path for a very long time, and oh, it was the, it was the 1930s? Um, it was the depression, <laughs> and it was so sad. It was just a very sad time for us all. Yes, yeah, I can imagine. Have you ever wanted to quit? 
Like oh, you were like forget uh, every it. other every other Thursday. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, this is too hard. I always think if if somebody would show me a film of my whole yeah. career, I'd go, oh my god, this is just too hard. It's too much, right? It is. It really is. It's a hard career. Um, it, how do you get yourself going? How do you keep going? Like, I want to quit. And then how do you convince yourself to get back on the train? Uh, therapy. <laughs> therapy, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, God, what else? 12-step uh, program. Al-Anon, I've been in for such a long time. Really? Um, you know, friends, doing mm -hmm. service, uh, mentoring other people, nice. you know, uh, sharing with other people, you know, uh, kindness, generosity, you know, mm -hmm. with other comedians, if a comedian or an actor calls me and they say, Hey, do I need some people to call? What, what should I do? I always try to, I had an assistant once that always used to say, why do you take everybody's call? And I said, because there's always someone below you that mm -hmm. wants to, um, be where you are. Right. Me wanting to be, well, I'll tell you a story. So I, uh, I just, I'm, I'm doing all my stuff now and I'm making sure that's why I, do I seem distracted? I just want to make sure I was, okay. It's on both pages. Uh, hello, David, <laughs> David, the, and David and Chris are here. Yes. So um, I'm not going to tell you the name of the TV show or the name of the very famous Emmy winning actor, but I got a call from my agent a week ago, Friday and said that I'm up for this very big show. Nice. And they, uh, and there was a part that I was very right for. So I knew the star of the show because I used to spend Thanksgivings with her. Mm -hmm. And I sent her a little note. I said, hey, so-and-so, there's a part that I'm right for. And I sent her a clip. It's a comedy. And I sent her the, the clip of my acting reel. And I sent her a clip of my stand-up reel. And she mm -hmm. said, oh, honey, so-and-so got this part. But your demo reel was fantastic, all in mm -hmm. caps, and yes. it was really, really good. And then she said, and your set was terrific, but da 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 and I, then I got a note from my agent saying, it wasn't that part, it was this part, so I said it was this part, and she said, oh, did you have an audition? Did you put yourself on tape, da 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 da, -da. And I said, no, not yet, I said, I haven't heard. And then uh, when I did hear, I said, hey, I got the audition, and she said, hey, um, you're on the list, you know, and da 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 da. Don't tell anyone. And now I'm telling everybody, but I'm not telling you what show it is. Or what right. Is. So it doesn't count. It's okay. So it just touched my soul so much that somebody who is so much more successful, and you all know who this person is, is so uh, above me, you know, in terms of success mm -hmm. that, that that did that for me. That's and, I've had, and I've had people do that for me. Damon Wayans and uh, Bruce Fine and Jim Vallelay. There was a part of a shrink on my wife and kids, and they all said, this was 2001. They said, who should play this? It was a gay shrink on their show. And they said, Jason Stewart. Yeah, you know? perfect. And I got that part. It recurred. I did three or four episodes, and it was it was uh, life-changing for a comedian to have a recurring role on a network show that, you know, that everybody was watching. So I've been, I've had that happen before. I've been offered roles, and I've been, uh, I've had comedian. I, I called someone today. I said, "Hey, there's a gig that can I do that?" He was a kid I mentor, and he says, "He says, yeah, I'll put a word in for you." He's half my age, and uh, he put a word in, and um, I just I got a I got a gig doing it in, in September. I mean, uh, April rather. Well, and when you have I, other, if when I you have other remember, people, I can just remember people. words. If I can remember words, <laughs> yeah, then I can do this. You know. Yeah, right, right, exactly. As long as you can, well, you have the talent, obviously, and put the words. It's word just in. the words, yeah. Yeah, it's just the words. But I, I feel like when you give, because you give of yourself, and you've helped me, I showed you my reel, and you gave me notes and stuff. Um, you know, when you help other people, I think that also comes back to you. You don't do it because of that, but I feel like you oh, put let's it be honest. We all do it a little because we want it to come back to us. I have one kid that I mentored. a little bit. I did one kid that I mentored forever, and he doesn't. He just sort of ghosted me. And then he's, you know, and I thought, God, and I, I really should shut up. And it, it shouldn't have been for that way. But it does hurt your feelings sometimes. So you you are human, but you don't hate, tell the person and you don't say anything. But it does feel like, oh, gosh, you know, and yeah. then, and you, then you then you feel like me, you obsess about for it all through COVID. And yes. you know, because I don't have any kids of my own. So I take that 
I take, I also take friendship really seriously and I take relationships seriously. I just don't take myself seriously. <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah. You're a good friend. You definitely are. And, um, I think you are, you, you're great. You're, you're one of my favorite comedians for sure. As a comedian and as a person, you are, you. you're great. Um, and I don't say that very often. <laughs> I always say though that I'm like Barbara Streisand. I'm known as a comedian, but I see myself as an actor. Isn't that funny? Really? I don't, I don't see myself as a comedian in terms of who I am as a person. It's something that I did because I was gay and I couldn't get a job. Yeah. Oh, hi, I teach it. Oh, this is a Peter Frechette. He doesn't know that I'm on. This is this wonderful actor that used to be on this show with my, uh, Michael Weiss. I forgot what it was called. And, and he's uh, uh, he's in Atlanta teaching now. And he's, he, he, I do a little teaching too. And he's wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful. I love how you're like networking all through the podcast. <laughs> oh, no, it's just, I like him. I saw him, I saw him in a play a million years ago. Yeah. I saw him in a play. Called, well, how can I not? I'm on Facebook. They all know. Oh, are they um, like messaging you on Facebook? Yes. Yeah. Why is it not showing here? It doesn't because show. Because it's anymore. on my pages too. I know it's on, a show on StreamYard. I don't know why it's not showing. I don't know. We're in a yard somewhere and no one can see us. I don't know. I know. That's why I'm like, what's she doing? Yeah, I can't. And I can't even respond to the comments. I only got three comments that I can see, and that's it. Yeah, I don't know. Let me see if there's any. I, I, I'm, I, I never. Now I got to go to my own page and see if it's happening. But, oh, there it is. It's on my page. Oh, Jason, please. Oh, okay. Here, Jason, please tell us about working on Michael Nesmith in television parts. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> what? So that was one of my first jobs. Now, my, for those who don't know, Michael Nesmith was one of the. He was one of the monkeys, and oh. there was a show called Television Parts, which was similar to another show that I think Paige Horowitz produced, where comedians would do their act. They take their act and make it into a um, a sketch of sorts. And okay. I played the late Taylor Negron oh, when he was yeah. younger, and I was the younger version of him. And it was one of my first, uh, you know, in a dream sequence, I was him. And it was just, Ooh. you know, I was so excited to be on a set and, you know, and to, to work. There wasn't much. I don't remember how it came about. Isn't that funny? I can't even remember. You can't, you've done so much, you, you just don't remember. Oh, that was so long that. ago. That was the 80s. I mean, that was Oh, the my 80s. God. Who can I remember? Know that Dave likes the monkey, so. And this guy, Eric Levitt, now I'm obsessed with him. He says, read what I said above, that I wasn't supposed to go to his I am and leave him a message. So instead, I said, we're talking on the wall and 5,000 people know what we're talking about. Oh, my I hear it on your radio God. I, so you're having something with Eric here. Something's happening since the beginning of the podcast. So it's just catching up the people. That just I still don't know who he is because he doesn't have a face on his thing. And it's oh, such my a gosh. Thing. I probably have met him before, Guy. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, hi, Ron. Thank you for joining us. We did a show together with, with Ron. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was one of those reenactment oh. shows years and years ago. Oh, I did one called uh, Wanted. And I, I did it because oh. Billy Gamada cast it for me. He's an old friend. He cast me. He was the assistant, I think, when I did Kindergarten Cop literally yeah. 30 years ago, 33 years ago. Oh, my Jack God. George and Michael was the associate, and Michael Chinich was the casting director. Oh, my God. I was so excited. That's a great story. I was so excited. I had a big scene. It was in a mall. I played the hairdresser to the villainess. It was Schwarzenegger was the star of the film. Uh, Oh, Richard Tyson. Do you remember him from Moon Ridge something? He was a sexy guy that played a carnival worker. Now he was in this and he played the villain. And Carol Baker, Oscar-nominated actress from Baby Doll and a Giant and the Carpetbaggers and Harlow. She was the played the supporting role and she was the mother of the villainess. And I played her hairdresser and I'm supposed to do her hair. So I was scared half to death and so excited at the same time. More excited to meet her than I was Schwarzenegger, which is really weird. And during yeah. lunch, he walked around the mall and there was like 40 people following him everywhere he went, him and his stand, and it was hysterically funny. He's looking at sweaters. 
he moves over, 40 people move over. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so crazy. Anyway, so uh, Carol Baker is uh, doing it. I'm doing her hair. She doesn't want me to touch her hair. She doesn't want to make me to mess up her hair. And I'm the hairdresser. And Ivan Reitman, God bless him, who's passed away, director of Ghostbusters and all these great movies, comedy movies, you know, you know the Blues Brothers. No, what's it, the Blues Brothers? He's just a comedy icon. Um, I think he directed Animal House. And uh, I was so excited. And finally, uh, during rehearsal, we go to lunch after rehearsal, and she said she lost her reading glasses. Oh. So I found a place in the mall where she could get some gla- reading glasses, and we were fast friends. And it was just the greatest thing ever. And I was hanging out in her trailer, and she was telling me old stories. And I got her phone number. We kept in touch for years. And she was just lovely. And then what I realized is that when there's people, you know, I was always brought up, uh, to, if there were people that were six, more successful than you, you know, and older than you, to treat them with respect, you know, sure. and kindness, but not treat them like they were better than you, to still see them right. as a peer, you know, exactly. but, still, but still, you know, give them umbrage of sorts, you know. And she was I love true. that. And then when the movie came out, I remember there was this big party, and I don't, it was somewhere in Santa Monica, and I remember there was, it was Universal Studios, so it was like, so I'd never been to a party that big you know, in show business. And the director walks by and he says, you're still in the movie. <laughs> I didn't know I was out of it. So uh, and I'd gone in and I had uh, looped one line because I said, oh, Jesus. And they wanted me to change it to, oh, geez. Oh. So, I, so I actually knew that I was still in the movie because of that. But apparently um, I was less in the movie than I thought. I had a really nice scene with all these things and a, and a blow dryer and all this fun stuff. And all this stuff got cut out and I only had two lines. One of them, you could only see the bottom of me, which was an improv line that she says, I don't like my hair. She's improvising at the beginning of the, I don't like my hair, it just doesn't look right. I'm just not doing what you usually do or whatever. And I said, I'm doing my best, you know? And that was my one. And then the other line was, oh geez. And that was it. I was, but you saw close-ups of me and stuff. And I was, but I was still so disappointed. I mean, I thought this is going to be my big chance, you know, to be in a big movie like Damon Wayans had been in Beverly Hills Cop 2 or 1 or whatever. You know, he played the Panana Man. It was like a funny thing and it propelled his career. And I remember thinking, God, you know, you just don't know. And you just don't know what's going to happen. Yes. But I I still made tons of money on that movie for years. I I just got a check the other day for $100. Are you kidding? Yeah, Yeah. it's 30-something years because any movies that have to do with kids play all the time. And and Penelope Ann Miller is in the movie. She plays the lead. And we have become friends. We have the same birthday because we did a movie called The Birth of a Nation together. Both movies we uh well, I did have seen I did have a scene with her in Birth of a Nation. We were all at this big table. And we did have that one scene, and she's terrific. You guys know Penelope Ann Miller. She was in Awakenings with De Niro and uh, uh oh god, the freshman with Brando and uh God and Chino and what's with the C, uh, Carlito's Way. Oh, okay. Nominated for a Golden Globe for the Chicha, and she's a fantastic actress. So wonderful. Nice, nice. She's in Dahmer now. She plays his mother. Ooh, I can't watch that. It freaks me out. Well, you know what it's about more than anything? It's about race. Really? it's, It's about all the people around it and what happened. He was just a complete racist. Black and brown people, but it was how it affected the people. Yeah, that was what was interesting, and that was what was really important to see. You know, um, in twenty six fifteen, rather, I got a part in the Birth of a Nation, playing a white heterosexual Christian plantation owner in eighteen thirty one. That's right, I remember. Happened. It's called acting. (laughs) Yeah, because you're like totally the opposite of all. Oh yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, and uh, a gay liberal Jew, you know. Exactly. uh, I remember, you know, thinking what a liberal person I was. And then you realize you have these biases in your head, Mm -hmm. especially about generational wealth. You know, we all have that one friend that can never get his life together or her life together financially. We all have a friend. We just know that person. And a lot of it has to do with how you're raised and who teaches you stuff and they say, pull yourself by your bootstraps. And sometimes, what if you never got boots? What if you don't know what a bootstrap is? Exactly. You know? Oh, that's so true. Yes. And generational wealth is really important mm-hmm. in families because right now, that's what's happening. People are, we're all 
you know, getting money from our parents when they die, God forbid, of course, but that's what happens to a lot of people that didn't ha handle their money properly. That's know? right. It's really difficult in this environment right now to move to the next level. My dad was an immigrant, you know, Holocaust survivor, not the king, wow. but the ghettos and came here in 1949 and, you know, was a gender at a necktie manufacturing company, but he was able to work in the clothing industry because that's where Jews could work. You okay. know, and the Jews would help the other Jews. Same way with the Latinos, help the other Latinos in certain fields that you can in restaurant, restaurant, owning restaurants and pulling yes. their money and, and creating businesses together where black people, their roots were cut off and they weren't allowed to do anything. Yeah. How could they, make, how could they have generational wealth from families that were just, their roots were cut off? Absolutely. I understand. Um, so... Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for joining us. And hi, Rich. I like to say hi to everybody and acknowledge everybody. Uh, and we have some questions for you, Jason. Wonderful. I want to go, go to the coming out stories. I really want to get to that, but let's answer a couple of questions before then. Uh, hi, guys. Two questions. How was it to work with fellow comedians on the shows, Drew Carey and George Lopez, along with Chevy Chase on a Vegas vacation? Did you get the oh, word? Looking me up. Well, George Lopez, I, Momo uh, just recently, I work with Momo a bit, who, who works with George. And uh, George just hit me up recently on um, Facebook, on Messenger, and was just telling me that he liked my work and da da da. And he heard stuff about me. And I said, I sent, you know, I said, congrats on your new show. And, you know, so it was sort of nice because I'd worked with him. But I really got that job through Louisa Lachin, who was an actress friend of mine. Okay. Who, um, came to, um, Los Angeles, I think, oh God, probably around 1980. And we both did extra work on what's happening now. I think that, or give me a break, because I'd done extra work on both of those shows. And, and I drove her home, you know, and we became friendly. And she got me into this book, this group called Actors Rap Together Art, where we'd all exchange ideas and things. And that's how I, that's, that's how George, that's how I got that job on, on George's show, it was sort of through Louisa. She got me the audition. Nice. And then, uh, Chevy Chase came from Jackie Birch again. Jackie Birch cast me in maybe, oh my God, Kindergarten Cop, Vegas Vacation, a film with Dennis O'Leary. I forgot the name. I think it's called Bad Boys. Um, Lost and Found with David Spade. Fright Night, which my part was cut out of, the original. Oh. Um, I think there's one more movie, but I can't remember it. And I was recently up for another film that she just cast. I, I was in the mix for a little while about Lily Ledbetter. And uh, that, so I was up for, so she cast out of Atlanta now. And What's what those oh, wait, uh, Chevy Chase, she got me Vegas vacation too. But I went to, I flew, I flew, I drove or I flew, I can't remember, to ba Vegas to do that. I, I went there for the audition and then I drove again for the, uh, to shoot it and stay with my friends. Brad and Nanette, who, who lived there. So I, I uh, worked as a local hire, which was a book. Nice. A funny story about that is, um, so we were in the Sands Hotel right before they tore it down. It's a scene with Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, who just, uh, and Randy Quaid, who I fucking, well, can I say that? Yes, you can totally, yes. Just was obsessed with because he was such a great character actor. Everything from you know the vacation movies to uh, Rockback Mountain to playing President Ford. He's just such a great actor. Yes, to, yes. To the Last Picture Show and you know so, Last Details. So many great movies. What's Up, Doc? All these great movies. God bless him. I hope he's okay. He just did a movie with um, Rob Margolin, who I did a movie with. So we're still sort of connected through movies called the. I did a movie called The Immortals a couple of years ago, and. Uh, he, he was so wonderful. And he, it's so funny because when I went there, we rehearsed the scene. And no one even said hello to me. We rehearsed the scene. And then Chevy went like this. He said, oh, so you're going to be funny. Hmm? And then he walked away. And the director <laughs> came over to me and said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I said, look, I'm gay, Jewish, and an iClub comedian. There's nothing you can say to me that's going to offend me. Absolutely. So all day, I spoke in a British accent to him. Except <laughs> And he just loved me, and we and we, uh, we laughed. I don't know if he remembered me, but we did. And then I then I saw Randy Quaid around a year later. And he was 
to see in the movie. And uh, he, he was there, and I don't know if he remembered me, and then he fell asleep. And I said, Randy, you're sleeping. He goes, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have another question from Dave. Jason, please tell us. Oh, my God, they're going back so far. One day at a time. No, he loves going, doing that, and I love oh. him for that. So I was 16 years old, David, and I didn't know anything. So I have no family in show business. I lived, you know, eight blocks away from CBS Television City. I grew up in Hollywood. And what I would do when I got my pictures at 16, like I had a resume with my phone number on it, my height, my weight. Everything was the truth then. And, <laughs> and I had a couple uh, student films. I had been an extra in, I don't know, something. And I don't, and I sent it over and I said, I'm a young character actor and I'm looking to get my first job or whatever. I'd study with these people, with Lawrence Park. And I said, you know, I had almost nothing on my resume. And then I put my school plays and, you know, community theater that I had done. And Jane Murray, who was the um, casting director for Tanda, which was all the, Norman Lear shows. I sent a picture to all in the family because I sent pictures to shows that I liked. Yes. I didn't know. And uh, they called me to be an extra on Maud. Oh my God. And then I called them back and I said, hey, I'm only 17. I probably need, you know, someone on the set because I had gone to my acting class, had this one day where they would have a, um, as a casting director and a panel of agents and they come in and tell you how to do stuff. And, and I remember they told me when you go in, say hello to the sound guy so they can hear your voice, always bring chapstick because your lips are going to get dry. And if you're underage, you need a teacher there. And she said, Oh, I'm so sorry. You, you can't have this job because we can't, we don't do that. You have to be over 18, but when you're 18, please call us and we'll get you on another show. So I called them at 18, well, two days after my 18th birthday, because I don't want to be pushy. <laughs> and, and they put me on one, one day at a time, which was a much better part, because I played a student who raced John Punch to a door. Now, John Punch was, is an actor. Now he's a director. He's Gene Stapleton's son. And he was on, I think he played Valerie Bertinelli's goofy boyfriend. And uh, I remember I raced him to the door. He... He tries to go in and another girl and I, and I go in and I slam the door and I slammed it so hard that the molding fell off because, oh, you know, make, it's a set. Yes. I was so nervous and I don't, I guess we did it again and I did it right. That was my first, I did around 10 different extra jobs. I did Charlie's Angels. I cut all my hair off to be in the Buddy Holly story thinking that they would find me, give me a break. Um, I think what's happening now, because one of the guys remembered me. Oh, I forgot his name. He became a comedian later. And then, uh, you know, give me a break was Nell Carter. And I remember I was at the airport once and I was sitting there and I said, hello, uh, Nell. I said, we, I, I was an ex. She said, I know who you are. And I thought, oh, my God, I only did one show. One show and she remembered me and she was so sweet. She says, I've been watching you doing stand-up now. You know, that's so cool. And I wonder whether I was gay. And I heard, you know, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that she was through other people. God bless her. She's passed away. Oh, that's and right. Yeah. Maybe there was a connection there where she saw this young gay kid, you know, who knew she knew how hard it was going to be for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, speaking of that, um, I know that you came out publicly on a show. Is that am I right? Uh, yes, June of 1993. It's now it's 30 years. This is my first show talking about this. I guess I'm going to start doing a little bit of press probably about it. Yes. Uh, 30 years ago, I came out on the Geraldo show oh. after Kindergarten Cop being cut out of that, except for the two lines, and you know, not being able to move to the next level in my career as mm -hmm. a headliner, and you know, I really wanted to be a headliner, not being able to get on it many of the talk shows because I'm like, I used to wear crazy outfits. I would wear zebra pants or a leopard, you know, jacket or a tiger coat. And I, I got on the Merv Griffin show in star search in the eighties really fast. And I, my first joke with my tiger coat 
on mm-hmm. certain ways. Um, every time I wear this coat, I feel like saying, Wilma, let me in. <laughs> and she was so mad because she had that one big boo. But if you remember, because he, he always trying to get in the house or something because they had a fight, I don't remember. But you know, the Flintstone movies were very popular in the uh, 80s and 90s and then the show. And um, uh, so I decided to come out. So I sent faxes, faxes to all the uh, talk shows that were on daytime talk shows. And I sent it to Oprah, Phil, Geraldo, Sally, Jenny, Mm-hmm. And Sally called and Geraldo called. And at the time, Phil was the biggest show. Yeah. And Geraldo was second. Oprah was third. Sally was fourth. So I took Geraldo, which was second. And uh, they they made a show about unconventional comedians. And I helped them get the other comedians. It oh, was how cool. Myself, uh, Paul Mooney, who was the angry black comedian. I was the gay comedian. My friend... Kathy Buckley was on as a hearing impaired comedian, mm-hmm. Sandy Church, a little person comedian, and um, who was the other one? Oh, Sheila Kay, my dear friend, as a woman who had lost a lot of weight. I couldn't, <laughs> I didn't, uh, she didn't really lose that much weight, but I wanted her on the show. And I said, we lied and said she lost 75 pounds, but it was only like 25. And uh, it's funny because Geraldo liked her the best and he hired her to do some parties for him. Oh, how and cool. It completely changed my entire career. And really? if you want to see it, you can go to jasonstewart.com, S-T-U-A-R-T, and in the uh, video section, you go to video, and then you go to interview, and you'll see it there. And it's somebody had put together this tape, and it really is sort of um, amazing how articulate I was at that age, you know, because I was frightened, and yeah. it was really... Um, it was it, it was surprising because I was ready. I was did, ready. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how did it feel coming out publicly like that? And did you feel relieved? A lot of people, like, a lot of people told me not to. Of you course. Know, because people who were loved, you know, and they said yeah. basically to me, um, you know, that, you know, you're going to lose a lot of jobs and people aren't going to accept you. And some people were all for it. And I think people, you know, it's like it's like my parents, you know. Mm-hmm. During COVID, my mom lives next door to me. Hashtag, I don't live with my mother. She lives next door. <laughs> and um, she, uh, I said during COVID, I, you know, so many hours, you know, I live up here and she lives down here because you don't want to live above a Jewish woman. And uh, <laughs> I said to her, what was it like having, you know, a gay kid as a, as a child as in, the, in the 70s? And she said, right. tell the truth and don't hold back. She says, you really want to hear everything? And I said, yeah, she says, it was awful. It was humiliating. Oh. It was embarrassing. Oh. It was, uh, you know, it was so difficult. We didn't know what to do. We never had a gay person in our family. It was frightening. Right. And people don't realize that being gay, you know, was illegal in some state, the sexual act. And also until 1973, we were considered mentally ill. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. Jeez. Oh, yeah. And all sorts of, if you look at any history about gay people, LGBTQ people. When I say yeah. gay, I mean that. That's I'm it's old school, and um, it it was. And when I, when she told me all that, people are going, "Oh, that's terrible." I said, "No," because it had nothing to do with me. She loved me. It had to do with what was happening in the world, exactly. and whether she had the, any information to help, and she didn't. Right. Neither did my dad. Nope, they had no information. So I say to people that are afraid to come out, um, give your family and friends some time because it took you a long time to accept you. Exactly. Give, give them some time. You know, not forever because it's 2023. It's not, I came out to my family, oh God, in the 80s. So it's a lot different. You know, I was yeah. very young. And now it's, you know, 40 years later. So yeah, things have changed completely at that time. Were you afraid to, to lose some gigs possibly? Cause at that, I, I wasn't afraid. I knew I, and I lost, you knew. Oh, and sure. I lost them and I was harassed. There's one particular club owner that I worked for forever. I won't mention his name, yeah. but he sexually harassed me, you know, verbally for 30 years, you know, what? and then, and, you know, they just, and they, they don't realize it. And, and this this is a person who I loved, 
who also really, really helped me. Yeah. And But there was a price to pay for that. Yeah. And I thought, why am I getting all this anxiety when I'm going into the club? And, uh, you know, and I don't work there very much because of that. But did, uh, I think the pros maybe outweighed the cons. And, you know, I, I would. Um, you know what? It's, 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 a, it's a very difficult thing to say. I came out before Ricky, Rosie. Ron, right. Ellen. I came out in 93. They all came out in the late 90s or the early yeah. 2000s. So I was by myself. It was Leah Delaria, Kate Clinton, you know, uh, Bob Smith, God bless him. Jaffe Cohen, who just was mm -hmm. a real, you know, groundbreaker. A lot of them, and they had a much harder time. I think yeah. the good thing that I didn't have a hard time is because two things. I didn't work. I worked in mainstream comedy clubs, so I understood them. And I also had a really strong um, craft as an actor. I had studied mm -hmm. since I was 14 in, in professional classes. So I had a, an edge in that way because a lot of them, you know, had worked in the more alternative spaces. And some of them, you know, brilliant actors, brilliant comedians, brilliant singers. It just was really hard. And some people, it, it's sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Yeah. There are people that are, you know, Maria Cantone, you know, getting right. sex in the city. He, uh, you know, Alec Mappa, you know, he, they all, he had certain friends and relationships and that. And certainly, you know, Nate Parker, the writer, director, producer, star of Birth of a Nation said something. He said, when, when talent meets opportunity, mm -hmm. said, and why did you cast me in this part? And he said, you know, he, he said, when talent meets opportunity. And, he, and I said, thank you so much. And you know what he said to me was, no, thank you. Oh, and I almost lost it. I was in his office and I just, and we were still friendly because he changed my life. That's beautiful. Have, have you had people come out to you and say, you know, what you did really inspired me? Yeah. Yeah. I have. I mean, um, that's why I wrote my book, honestly, because I thought that I had something to say and it would help mm -hmm. some people. But it really did much better than I thought. It's a book. It's called Shut Up, I'm Talking. That's so you. <laughs> I love that. That's a great, great title. Great, light, great lighting. And it, I wrote it with this guy, Dan Duffy, because I'm I'm this close to, you know, special needs. And I'm just, uh, you know, and I wrote it verbally, you know. And uh, I see. it came out during COVID. Unfortunately, so oh my God. All, yeah. all, all the book signings were canceled and everything, but um, it, it's done nicely. You can get it on my website or on Amazon. And it came out through CCB Publishing in Canada. I wanted a book deal so bad, you know. I, I should have I should have just, just. If anybody wants to do a book, do it yourself. You'll make more money because you want to pay anybody. But um, it's it's it, it, you know I wanted to call the book called I'm Not Barbara Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> because she was such a big deal when I was a kid. People now see her as this old Jewish woman who sings. And, you know, I date, I'm the 36 year old I'm dating says, Oh, I know who she is. She's the one that was in the Fokker movies. I said, Yes. He says, Oh, honey, I think she sings. And then I stabbed him. Um, <laughs> it was with a spork from the KFC. So it didn't hurt. Hilarious. But, um, you know, uh, she was a big deal when I was a kid. I mean, she was right. Jewish. She was sad on the you know, on the inside, funny on the outside, just like me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really identified with her. But then I realized, oh, she's a woman. I'm a man. How does that going to work? And then when I was getting close to my late 30s, early 40s, I started becoming really comfortable with who I was as a person. It took me a while. But the book really, uh, really helped me. And, it, and the reviews on Amazon just blew me away. That's incredible. I love that. Because they're from people. Yes, from real people, yes. Yeah, who read the book. And I thought, yes. wow, that really, you know, those that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. And there's also now, I have we have to talk about this, Smothered. Oh, my God. I watched season one. I want to show the trailer. Wait, 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 I want to just say this yes. before you do. It's co-written, co-produced, yes. co-created, co-starring by the wonderfully brilliant Mitch Hera. Yes, he's, yes, you both are if it wasn't hilarious. Him, I could not do this, so please go ahead. Yes, and you both wrote it, right? You co-wrote it and co-produced yes. it. And season two will be out in the next month or two. Yes, and this is the trailer for season two. Can you guys see it? Is it showing? Oh, there it is. This yes. is a sneak peek. 
I love it. Okay, this is so funny. Love you, hate you, love you, hate you, love you. I don't know when things happened. I just know that they did. It was 1981, and we were both waiters at Studio 54. I was a cocktail whore, and I was wearing gold lame hot pants and a bow tie. So glamorous. And Ralph was this fat busboy in all black. I was so thin. My hair was blonde. It was parted down the middle, and it was layered. He had this red Farrah Fawcett wig, and I had this curly sexy lion's mane it was something i wore a wig oh he wore a wig i never wore a wig he totally wore a wig and then one night i was holding mick jagger's pants i think it was while bowie blew him and they said you know you want to join in and i said well i am working for tip could you just die love you hate you love you hate you love you Oh my God, you guys are so funny together. I remember. I was, really lucky. I was really lucky. I won the best actor award in the Indie Series Awards. Yes. That, that really just, oh my God, that changed me. I got to okay. tell you, just to have, because it's all the indie people. And that's been a very big part of my career as a uh, openly gay man. You know, you're able to work in the indie world a lot more than you are in mainstream. So that's that really. Great. The indie films got me all the mainstream things that I got because I had tape on myself. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, no, no. This is, you're my guest. So with the no, you me, what did you want to, what did you say? What were you going to ask me? Uh, I don't remember now. <laughs> I have no idea. I love God, it. was only two seconds. <laughs> yes. Two seconds and it went right out of your head. Yes, I have a little bit of ADHD. Well, the first season, you go to smothertv.com. You can watch it. And you can okay. watch Amazon, Apple, Reverie, Ugh, Ech, Zook, Zach. You know, everywhere. everywhere. You can see it on YouTube, too, if you have no money. Because I didn't want it people is... to be able to see it. Oh, I love that. It's hilarious. You guys have to watch season one. And when is season two coming out? Hopefully by March. That's our hope. So, Perfect. You know. So how did that show come about? Did you guys got... Well, Mitch and I have known each other 30 years, and uh, okay. we, I had, it's, the real truth is I worked with this guy, uh, Scott Kennedy, and I had this, who passed away, a comedian, uh, openly gay comedian, and he and I, I had this idea, and I was going to include Mitch in it. I don't think he, I even told him the story, and then we talked about it, and then he passed away, and then we talked about this idea of playing these two guys that could never get along, who were in a couple, and, and then there was this bank robbery. And that's sort of, and then, then years later, I invited him to come to a, a group that I was trying to create. I had a series before called Mentor that I created with Paul Elia and Alexander Paul. Oh, yeah. That series. And I, uh, so I had done it before and I, I wanted to create a series called 50 about people over 50. And he came and he just offended everyone. I had to fire him from the group. Now, the show never got made. So he says, of course, who wants to be with those people? But he was just a little, he just wasn't a good fit with these particular people. That's yeah. It just artistically didn't work. And he's incredibly talented and so yeah. fun, so prolific and such a go-getter. And he gets things done. I love it. And um, so uh, he said, we should do this idea about us being a couple. And we were going to do it as a, as, a, as a YouTube series, just, you know, be in, in an office and and what happened is it just kept evolving as we were writing and it evolved. And some of the remnants of that is there. But now very little of it is in the second season. So uh, it's it's a short form series. The first season is uh, uh, six, seven, seven, uh, seven episodes. You can watch it in a half hour. The second season is eight episodes. And it'll probably take you more like closer to an hour to watch it because there's more in it. We have 20. We have... Uh, Amanda Burst from Married with Children. We have Ida Rodriguez from her big HBO special. We have yes. uh, uh, Jay Rodriguez, not no relation, you know, from the Queer Eye and you know the Rita McIntyre show. And he was on Couple. He's been in a million things. He's got an Emmy. He was in the movie Bros. So was um, Amanda. We've got um, uh, Armand Friend, who was in the New Queerest Folk. We have uh, Robert Costanza, who has been in everything, plays one of the dads. And we have some wonderful, wonderful, uh, Carol, Carol Ida, 
Ida White plays the, the prison social worker from Laverne and Shirley, and uh, God bless her. And so we have, everybody, we, what we really wanted to do is have a very diverse cast. We have every race and, oh, we have Nicole uh, Evans from uh, Superstore in it. Oh, and, nice. And she's, in, she's in a wheelchair, and she's a little, little gal. And so we want, and she's just, oh, she's so fucking funny. And she's so, she's what I, I, her, I just, for some reason, her stuff just, oh my God. She's in the, the uh, wig therapy where we go to wig therapy to try to solve our problems. And um, we just, we have all these wonderful people. We wanted to cast a very diverse cast, but we never talk about it. Right. You just do it. We did the same thing in the first season. That was a big goal. And not just race, but age, sexual preference, height. The original show, Erica Irving, who's one of our executive producers on the second season, played a shrink in the first season. She's almost seven feet tall and a trans lady. She's absolutely wonderful. Nice. She's, uh, she's been very helpful in raising. We're still raising funds, as, as all the independent projects are. If you go to smothertv.com, there's a little GoFundMe box, and we're still trying to make around $10,000 more to pay for our publicist and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it takes, I was going to ask you, how did you guys finance the project? Did you? Through fans, through supporters, fans. people that believe in us, and uh, Mitch and I. Wow. Because you don't make an incredible amount of money from Amazon. You oh, know. no, not at all. You know, they're not doing well. They're just no, not. No. Well. They're just not. Jeff Bezos. It's just it's he's just a sad guy living in a manufactured home in Palm Springs down the block from me. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. He's the billionaire, trillionaire, zillionaire. Are you kidding? Well, you never know. There might be he might be an eccentric million billionaire. You never know. Seriously, right. he's not, I've, he's, I've met them. They're doing really. He's doing so well. Oh, I know. It's crazy. It is yeah. interesting. The the generational wealth and the sharing the wealth of this country. And all that, I swear to God, it's just it's just so uh, upsetting to me. People, you see, people don't have a place to live. People I don't. Know. You know, it, it's just so hard, you know. It just really is. And I say to everybody that's having a hard time, put one foot in front of the other, one thing at a time, make yeah. a list, you know, build it, and it will come. And that's that's what I do. I, I make lists all the time. Here we go. Oh, nice. Lists all the time. And then your dreams come true. Okay. You know? I, mean, I have it on, on a board here behind me. I have a board with like all the projects I'm doing and what I want and all that. It's not I'm a vision gonna... board, but it's kind of like your list. I'll tell you something because we're getting towards the end. But uh, say something about me while I look for this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, actually, we have a couple more questions. Or oh, I love it. Well, I'm here, so let's let's go. Totally. Uh, okay. I love so, answering questions. Yes. No. This this is what this podcast is about. You know, it's it's participation in the audience. Um, Jennifer is asking, how old were you when you knew you were gay? Um, Thursday. Thursday is when it happened. <laughs> like you were born on a Thursday, and Thursday yes, you knew. It happened on a Thursday. I was born on a Tuesday. Um, so I always say, is if Jennifer is Jennifer, I'm guessing is a straight person because a gay person yes, usually yes. doesn't ask that question. Not exactly. that it's a bad question to ask. And I always ask them, when did they know they were straight? <laughs> exactly. Because I don't, I don't think I, I, I knew, I knew when I knew I wasn't straight, but I don't, I was always gay. But that's how my journey was. Absolutely. Everybody's, no, journey, everybody's journey is different. I'm looking yeah. for this one thing that I want to do. Okay, so Dave is like doing his research. I love Dave. He's amazing. The title. Oh, he's, like, he's like green man to my career. Oh, he's like he knows everything. He he's a research hound. Uh, so the title of "Shut Up, I'm Talking" from your book came from a phrase his mother repeatedly said while Jason was growing up. Yes. <laughs> well, true? you know, it's the Jewish thing. I mean, what, what the the old Lenny Bruce joke is. Uh, you know, I didn't know my name was. Uh, my, my, I didn't know my name wasn't shut up until I was five. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, ooh, this is a good question, Chris. Uh, what are the hardest aspects of the industry? 
Oh, the constant uh, reinventing of oneself. Yeah. The constant idea that when the, the, the rejection is, people say, I used to remember people would say to me, oh, the rejection is so bad. I said, well, I can take that. I'm going to be fine. It really yeah. it gets to me. It still does. Of course. It, it gets to me so much. Uh, that's what's really, really hard is the rejection and, and the, to believing in yourself still when other people don't that's really absolutely hard. to just keep it it's yeah takes uh, oh. a lot of strength for sure is there another question or else i'm going to read this well actually some some nice comments good oh. guests and stories good show my dear thank you rich and thank you chris for the nice comments i appreciate them um so here chris is saying i've learned about rejection in the radio industry i know chris is uh, started doing radio. They're, yeah. They're brutal. brutal. They're brutal, right? I've had friends, you know, one day the show is happening, the next day it's not. It's brutal. Yeah. And People, then you know, the radio shows that I've been on all the time. Yes. And then he's trying to switch careers at 50, so his family doesn't kind you of know, like what, Chris, you know, family, let it go. I, yeah. I have to tell you, at my age, you know, Create your own family with your own friends. Yes. You know, you really, it's funny because my family's always been difficult and somewhat, um, I don't know, I just never fit in. I'm in the wrong family. Yeah. No, I and feel you. A lot, them, a, lot, a lot of them didn't really like me from the beginning. Oh. And they would basically, you know, because I was different. I was gay and I was, right. so that's already different. And I was very liberal and very open and I had all different kinds of friends yeah. all different walks of life. And basically my family always stayed with their own. So they were like foreigners to me. I, and I was an artist. Most of them did, you know, it was about money for them. Not about, not that this is wrong. It's just, that's the way I led my life. And I also think, you know, service is important, which has yeah. never been important in my family to many people. Really? Uh, and, and uh, you know, a kindness and generosity, yes, and uh, openness and listening, really listening to people, and not it's judging and accepting where that person is at the moment, you know, rather yeah, than giving suggestions and knowing when to let go. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's what love is. And dreams can happen, you know. Absolutely, uh, of course. When I got the part in Birth of a Nation, it really changed me as a human being because. I, it was a film about black abolitionist Nat Turner, and I played mm -hmm. a plantation owner in 1831. I had eight scenes in a really big studio picture that was a big success, and I'd never been about part of something with such a big part and being so uh, welcomed by the producers, the actors, and it was just a wonderful experience. And this lovely man, Tom Senzi, who's since passed, God bless him, he... Um, uh, he was a journalist who was so kind to me. So he had given me the cover. It was the cover? I know I had a cover of this magazine, Rage, because it's right there. But I don't know. I think he probably had something to do with it at another time. But um, he uh, had written an article about me called The Birth of an Actor, which is the name of the chapter in my book about this story, about how I got the movie. It sort of ends the book. The book sort of ends in 2016. And... I remember when I got this part, I was doing all this press for it. And then he uh, sent me the article to fact check it, which people don't usually do, but he was great like that. Yeah. And I checked it, you know, fact checked it for names, dates, you know, things just to make sure. Because sometimes people, you know, w would get things wrong, which happens all the time. Dumb things, you know. Yeah. So uh, I did, I read it. It was a wonderful article and I called him and I thanked him. And then, when, the, when it came out, he sent me a couple copies in the mail. And I and I said, oh, this is wonderful. And I looked at the pictures and didn't read it again because, you know, I'd already read it. And who needs to, how much am I going to read about myself? So he called me, he says, what do you think of the article? I said, you, you, you know, I loved it when I read it. it was just, he said, read it again. I said, really? So he had asked me when he was doing the article, if Nate Parker, who was a writer, director, producer, star of the film, would give him a quote about me. And I said, look, here's his publicist, but I don't think he's going to have time. The movie comes out very soon. He's so busy. 
So uh, he called, and 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 in when I read the article, it just said Nate Parker quote, and I figured he'd never get it. So he wrote two paragraphs, and I'm going to here because I got to read this. So this and this is what really this kept me going for a very long time. Mm-hmm. He said it was really he he he. I guess what he said, Parker uh, made Jason believe that he was the right actor to play Joseph Randall. It was really about the incredible work in the audition room, replied Parker. I wanted to stray away from the traditional psychopath slave owner and instead presented a character who had more relatable qualities, qualities some would almost perceive as likable. This would create in the audience member's mind a more complex journey as they grapple with the systematic effects of this period of American history. Jason walked in the room with an understanding of that vision, brought a confidence, humility, and humor to the role. And what that, can't get through this. way that helped achieve a much needed balance across the characters and overall narrative is Onset instincts further that validation, my validation for hiring him, as he constantly pursued brave choices that added to expanding the breadth of his character. Ah, that just wow. You know, that's exactly the three things that I want. This is what I want: is to have confidence, humility, and a sense of humor. That's beautiful. And that I added to the character. You know, I had no idea. We never really talked about that. I just went in and worked. You know, is this what you want to do this again? This way. I remember that one scene he said, it was a very short scene. I think I'm in it for 30 seconds, if that. And it's dark and it's when they attack our house. Mm. And he said, you have he said, you have to hyperventilate. You're you're being shot at. Because originally I was supposed to have a gun. And since I was the head guy, they said, no, my slaves, my house slave would have a gun to protect me. I think it's because he didn't think I could shoot a gun and I practiced. But he yeah. talked with me. But, they didn't, <clears throat> but uh, whatever the reason was. And I remember going around the, the set. And I, I like to, when before I'm shooting something, before they go, like in the day, I like to hang around the set in the place that I'm shooting to mm-hmm. get used to the, the uh, physical grounds and everything and I and I practiced hyperventilating and I love what I did because being frightened is the hardest thing to do and I yeah. said next to the guy it's funny because he friended me today on Facebook again I don't know why he wasn't my friend before but some people I don't know what happens but um Alvin was he uh, sitting next to me and we hide and it was just in this fright and I looked so frightened I thought oh my god he was so right and every time I look at that I just you know, I, 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 I just, oh, I just remember that was such great. I love acting. Oh, yes. I, I mean, the, I love it more. You know, stand up to me when it's going great is so much fun. Yeah. But it's like dating somebody hot. You know, it's like hot, fun sex. It's either great or you go, God, why am I doing this? I know, I know, right? I know. Acting seems to have more of a beginning, middle, and an end. Yes. And, and I'm lucky enough now that I could do what I want to do and not do what I don't want to. And That's I really, I, I yearn, you know, I yearn to work. Like I used to love this time of year because this is when all the great movies come out. But this year I had a hard time because I wasn't in any of them because of COVID and all these right. circumstances that are out of my control. And also now that I'm looking to work in bigger things, you know, it's harder because I'm competing with people that had big careers in their 20s and 30s, which I didn't. Because I was gay and people wouldn't let me work. I mean, they, they would tell to me, and I've been fired and everything. You know, so there's all sorts of uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, things, you know, that uh, yeah. happened to me. And I've been very, very lucky and I'm incredibly grateful. But, you know, it's not been an easy road, but I'm grateful. You know, I'm, I'm a lot luckier than others and I know that. So I, I have to. You know, when I have my days where I think, oh, God, I'm not, you know, where I wanted to be. I have to know that I that I have to be okay about where I am. 
Absolutely. And grateful. I love that you're grateful about. about when I was on Joey Diaz show, they said that I was a whining bitch. <laughs> His fans just hated me. No. I would talk like this. And every time I say that, you know, that I think, oh God, someone's going to say I'm a whining bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I'm going to ask you the last question that I always ask my guests. Uh, what do you want to be known for? Oh, what do I want to be known for as an, as an artist or as a human? Well, as an artist, I want to be, as an actor, I want to be known for being really good. I want to, that my work was good and that it moved somebody, that it made them right. laugh out loud or made them cry or made them see something in a completely different way that opened up their mind. Uh, as a comedian, I want to be remembered as being somebody funny and, and that, that broke ground for others. Uh, as a human, I want to be remembered as a, a good person, somebody who... Uh, you know, love their mom. And uh, no matter how crazy she acts. <laughs> and, um, hilarious. And, uh, and somebody who gave a shit about somebody else other than himself. I love that. Yes. That's great. It's, it's about, I wrote something today um, on a comment from uh, Lydia Cornell. Do you know Lydia? Oh, I know Lydia, yes. Yeah, I love Lydia. I met, it, I met it through Jim J. Bullock. Yeah. Oh, yes. He, he lives very close to me. We're friends. Yes. Um, so I wrote something like I have to read it because I forgot what I wrote. You know, you know when you write stuff and people <laughs> but it apparently was really good because she like tweeted it and okay. Coming from our higher self, God slash love, versus our lower self ego slash fear is key to making our lives and the lives of others better. Mm. And I feel like that's where you come from. You come from your higher self. I'm really a big higher power person. I have, you know, yes. it took me a long time to get there and I still don't maybe believe a hundred percent because you just know, the only thing you know for sure is this, oh, yeah. body, this body is going to give way. And so, yeah. will this, so will this shirt. And I, and uh, that, you know, for sure. So the other thing is you just have to believe that there's a, you have to hope, have a hope that there's another place that we'll all go oh, where, yeah. we, where we don't have to be on a diet. <laughs> I know. Well, apparently from all the near death experiences that I did Google, uh, watch YouTube during my cancer healing journey, uh, it's a beautiful place. So I, I wasn't scared. Apparently so. And everybody's thin. So <laughs> everybody is in shape. They're like 30 years old. <laughs> like having a great time. Everybody's loving. So it seems to They're be. All good. <laughs> yes. So. All right, Jason, it's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure having you on the show. And mm -hmm. uh, can't this wait. When I come to L.A. again. I'll be there on the 16th, 17th, and 18th. I'm doing shows. So everybody go to my website. I'm going to be at the Laugh Factory, the RJ's, I don't remember. But I'm, RJ's, going to be at, yeah. I'm going to be at RJ's. I'm going to be at the Improv. I've got a lot of stuff coming up in February. So just go to jasonstewart.com, S-T-U-A-R-T, and look at the appearance page. I don't remember the dates and everything. But there's, there's around six different dates, I think. Okay, awesome. And I'll, be at the, and I'll be at the Throckmorton April 4th in uh, in uh, Oakland. That's the place where Robin Williams used to perform all the time near his house. So I'm lucky enough to have a gig there. Excellent. Great. So guys, check out his website. Go see his comedy. He's hilarious. And as soon as Smothered comes out, watch it. I'm yes. going to be watching as soon as it comes out because I can't wait to see it. If you go to my website, all my social media is on the side. You can sign up for everything, no matter how, however you like to communicate. Twitter, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever you like. I'm the whole thing. Way. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Dave, um, Chris, Jennifer, Ron, Rich. Thank you, guys. Your questions were great. Thank you, Dave, for doing all that research. That's amazing. And I will see you guys next month. And thank you again, Jason. And Thanks for uh, having me. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.